am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 173, in which we experiment, and I'm recording this on Sunday, February 1st, 2015. Um, I don't know what time it is. I think it's not quite two o'clock in the afternoon, if that really matters to any of you. Um, I've had a very nice, relaxed weekend, and I'm planning on still getting some more done, although once again, I have to clean my sewing room out. <laughs> I had just cleaned it uh, Friday night, and somehow it got all stacked again over the weekend, so I've got to clean that out again. Um, but then I'm hoping to, I don't know, make progress on something. I haven't quite decided what I'm going to work on yet. Uh, but tonight during the Super Bowl, uh, we don't have anybody coming over. My husband's not going anywhere. So, um, I will be watching it with him, although I'm not really a football fan, but I feel kind of bad about him sitting in the family room by himself <laughs> watching the Super Bowl. So I'm going to use that opportunity to work on my um, Sue Spargo embroidery class project. Plus, we still have some random Christmas decorations that haven't gotten put away yet. So we're going to be, um, you know, wrapping those in paper towel or whatever they were wrapped in originally and getting those back in the bins and hopefully being able to get them back down to the basement before the end of the game. So that's our day and evening. Um, I am actually also currently awaiting a batch of snow dyes to come out of the dryer so I can see their end result. And I've got some more that are soaking and retained, so I'll get those in the wash tomorrow. And then I'm likely to put another batch in tonight. I haven't quite decided that yet. I might wait until tomorrow because we're due another snowstorm. So more about the whole snow dye thing in a minute. I'm going to start out. I've got a few announcements to make and then um, really just Sandy update and listener feedback. So without any further ado, let's get going. First thing, I am very excited to be able to announce the winners of the 2015 Quilty Resolutions giveaway that just ended yesterday. Um, and it was really fun, as always, reading everybody's entries. And I think I might have even had a few more this year than in years past. So we're we're kind of building up steam. Um, I am going to be sharing everybody's entries, or at least selected, because there's a lot. So I'm not going to be able to read everything everybody said necessarily. But um, I will be sharing some of those on next week's podcast, because I want to be able to take the time and really read through them and then figure out, like I said, how I'm going to share um, share that without it being a two-hour-long episode. Although, as many of you have assured me, two hours is okay. Um, it's just my own thing that doesn't like me doing that long. So, in any case, that will be next week's tune in for uh, to hear what all of your fellow quilty folks have decided they're going to do in 2015. Um, I, I really have enjoyed reading them. Some of them actually made me laugh out loud. Uh, the winners are Molly, Maureen, and... Dion, Dion, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, I'm sorry. I have emailed all three of them and have heard back already for two of them, so their packages are ready and waiting, and then as soon as I heard back, hear back from the third, I will package up her winnings. And then, as I had indicated I might do, I threw in a fourth read, uh, winner just for kicks and giggles, and that was Holly. And so Holly is also, as it turns out, also getting a pack of four fat quarters um, from my stash. They were not ones that I had initially set aside for a giveaway, um, but as I had said, I'm feeling bad about all these wonderful pretty fabrics I have that are just languishing on my shelves, <laughs> and so I've decided I'm going to um, let them find other happy homes where they might be loved and used in some way. Uh, so congratulations to Molly, Maureen, Dion, or Dion and Holly. Um, and like I said, I've got, I've also heard back from Holly, so I've got hers all packaged up and ready to go, and I will get to the post office sometime this week. Um, just so you know, not everybody followed directions, and I did hear from one person that for some reason the raffle copper widget just didn't work for her. Um, I had about three times the number of resolutions entered in the Google spreadsheet as I did entries in raffle copter, so what I ended up doing because I know I had said I was only going to do the drawing with people who are in Rafflecopter. If it had only been a handful of people, that's what I would have done. But with that massive <laughs> difference, 
I decided what I would do is I just added the names from the Rafflecopter widget back into the spreadsheet. So essentially that gave all of those people two opportunities to win, which I figured was their reward for being able to use the Rafflecopter. Um, but in any case, um, it that's the way it all works. So there were uh, four winners. Again, Molly, Maureen, Dion, or Diona, and Holly. Congratulations. I hope you enjoy your winnings, and you should have them in your hot little hands within a couple of weeks, depending on weather. I've actually had a couple of shipments of things that I had ordered online that got delayed um, getting to my house because of weather. It is that time of year. So, you know, I can only tell you when I'm I'm planning on getting to the post office sometime this week. What happens to it beyond that is totally out of my control. Um, okay, next announcement. <laughs> um, well, let me do this other one first. It's not in the order I have them written in my notes. But there is an excellent possibility. Well, let me say I'm at about 85% sure right now that I'm going to be going to the Kansas City Regional Quilt Show, which is June 19th to 21st, being held in the Overland Park Convention Center, Overland Park, Kansas, which is essentially in Kansas City. It's um, one of the suburbs, I believe. I realized I had not even known that this event was going to be held until I was in Kansas for meetings a couple of weeks ago. And um, I believe it was Darla, Scientific Quilt, who lives in that area, who had texted me something about, oh, there's going to be a big quilt show here. Because uh, I had mentioned I was going to be back there this summer. And she said, oh, there's going to be a big quilt show here. And while, when I looked it up online, it turns out it's the weekend immediately preceding when I would have had to be out there anyway. I have to be out there on Monday, 20, the 22nd. So the reason it's 85% sure is because I'm still trying to just work out a couple of um, details, uh, not the least of which is which day would I actually fly in. Would I go in on Friday afternoon, evening, or would I go in Saturday? Those kinds of things. So... Um, if you live, you know, within the area that a regional quilt show in Kansas City might be within reach of you, just know that there's a really, really good chance we're going to be doing a meetup while we're there, while I'm there. So I will keep you posted on the progress of that. Um, I don't think there's a website for the show, and actually I didn't write down whether it has some other name other than Kansas City Regional Quilt Show. <laughs> it's just what I've been thinking of it as. I'm pretty sure they have a Facebook page, so you might just want to do some Googling and see what you can find. And meanwhile, I will also do some research and see if I can find a website, and if I can, I'll throw it on my show notes at some point. Um, okay, the third announcement is I have thrown down the gauntlet to Sandy of Quilt Cabana Corner podcast and blog. Um, she and I have both been uh, engaged in a lot of snow dyeing over the last week because uh, she's in Massachusetts where they really got serious snow in this last snowstorm that went through. Um, I didn't get much in that. I'm in western New York. I didn't get much snow in that snowstorm, but we get snow just naturally speaking. And um, last week there was an overnight period in which I'd say we got maybe six inches all in. Um, so I had some nice fresh snow to work with as well. So we've both been, you know, tweeting our pictures of our various snow dyes. And so finally I sent her a message and said, hey, can I challenge you? <laughs> she was like, yeah, that would be fun. So we now have challenged one another in a, um, we have to use at least one of the snow dyes that we have just created over the last few days. And we haven't really limited more than that. But the whole idea was, you know, those of us who hand dye, we tend to turn out these really fun fabrics and then they sit on our shelves forever because we can't entirely figure out what to do with them. So, um, and especially with snow dyeing because you tend to play with color combinations and stuff and you can end up with some quite truly weird fabrics. I, I specialize in weird fabrics myself. I think I, I, I tend to kind of push the envelope in terms of color combinations because I'm just really curious <laughs> to see how they come out. Um, that's why this this episode is called in which we experiment because I've been doing a lot of that with my snow dyes. Um, I'll be talking about that a little bit more in a minute. So anyway, uh, as Sandy and I were kind of working out what we we're going to do and all of that, we've decided we're not doing any special theme or any special restrictions. Just the idea is that we have to use at least one, if not more of our snow dyes in a project and we have to do it by the Ides of March, which is March 15th. Um, the Ides of March, of course, uh, is Shades of Shakespeare, and I tweeted back to her, a two brute might be uh, inspirational. <laughs> so, um, so that's a little bit of fun the two of us are having. You can follow along on our blogs to see how it goes. And if any of you 
our hand dyers, and particularly if you've been doing any snow dye or ice dye and want to jump in on our challenge, you are more than welcome to. It's really just for fun. We're not, you know, we're not, there's no prizes <laughs> except the prize of having another fun thing on our wall. Um, so that's, that's the other announcement. Like I said, if, if you've got some snow dyes or ice dyes, particularly that you have had on your shelf for a little while and haven't really entirely known what to do with it and want to join in our challenge, feel free. We're just having a ball with it. Okay, sorry, I've got all sorts of um, indicators going off from the various electronics I have around. I should start throwing my iPhone and iPad out of my office the way I throw my dogs out so that they don't interrupt me while I'm podcasting. Okay, my Sandy update, um, and that's pretty much all this episode is going to be this week. Um, as I had already mentioned, my word of 2015 that I chose for the year is experiment, and I've actually done it a few ways this month. Um, the, the main way, like I've already said, is I have been doing a lot of snow dyeing again, and I've really been playing around with what colors um, I put in each batch. The first batch I did, hang on, I have to pull up my blog post so I can remember what they turned out as. Okay, the first batch I did one that was fuchsia and intense blue. Um, that one wasn't terribly experimental because you know you add fuchsia and blue together and you're going to get kind of ranges of purple in there. Um, the second was stormy gray, old rose, and boysenberry. Um, I have used stormy gray and old rose before. I think the boysenberry was new. Uh, I, well, new to snow dyeing. I've done other things with it. Um, and then the third was turquoise, lemon, yellow, and tangerine. And by the way, those color names are all the, um, I believe, Prochem. I think I've gotten all of those dyes from Prochem. There's only a couple that I've gotten from Dharma. Or Jacquard, I think Dharma. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Um, so... The Fusion and Intense, Intense Blue turned out quite nicely. It was exactly kind of what I thought I'd end up getting, although, you know, the serendipities, you never know exactly what the pattern is going to be and how much of each color is really going to come through. Um, but that wasn't a terribly surprising piece. The um, Stormy Gray, Old Rose, and Boysenberry, what I learned is that Boysenberry is an aggressive little fella. Um, it I, I didn't put that much Boysenberry. It's sort of a purpley color. I didn't put that much uh, dye powder on the snow compared to the gray and old rose, but it really took over. Um, when you look at the piece, it really looks purple. I mean, it's it's variegated. There's kind of shading in it and everything, but you don't really see a whole lot that says old rose to you. Um, and the gray is mostly just making the purple darker. <laughs> so um, that just, that taught me a lot about the color boysenberry. And I have to say, that's one thing I've learned is that snow dyeing and ice dyeing actually teach you, or teach me, I should say, um, a lot more about how different colors behave than straight low water immersion dyeing does, because you're actually, you're breaking the colors. If it's a compound color, you're breaking it into its component colors, which is always fun to see. And then you also see which colors tend to be more aggressive than others, because they're the ones that just kind of take over the, the process. So anyway, that was uh, what I learned about boysenberry on that one. The third one was turquoise, lemon yellow, and tangerine. And by the way, these are all on my blog. I did post pictures of these finished results. Um, the turquoise, tangerine, lemon yellow one, I, you know, I've always said there's no such thing as a bad result because you can always do more with it. <laughs> um, I will say of this particular batch, this was my least favorite of the three. I had thought about... Um, the combination of turquoise and yellow, and I had thought about the combination of yellow and tangerine. I had not thought about the combination of turquoise and tangerine, and so it, it just kind of got very muddy. And also, um, it's not it it's a lot more faded than the other ones are. the The color didn't seem to um, it's not as intense, and I suspect some of that is just the nature of the colors themselves. They're a little less saturated colors to begin with. Um, but I think also some of it's the interaction, and then it's possible I just didn't use quite as much dye powder, although I, I felt like I was. Um, and I, I try not to use a lot because, you know, dye powder's kind of pricey. Um, but, I you know, this one you look at it and it definitely looks more faded than the other two, uh, which was interesting. But anyway, so I got those done. Um, and then let this, well, Friday night I think I put them in, or maybe, yeah, I guess I put them in Friday night. I have another batch that's various combinations of 
oh, yellows, reds, and fuchsias, I think, was the various combinations. Um, I was mostly trying to keep it all within the yellow family. And then I've got some, and those are in the dryer now. I'm be able to have those finished products fairly soon. Um, probably by the time I'm done recording this, I'll be able to get them out of the dryer and press them and take pictures. And then I've got another batch that's in my, um, that's soaking in Retain. I've been starting to use Retain a lot more on regular fabrics than I had before, um, just so I can worry that much less about them bleeding in any potential project. Now, I use them in art quilts and wall hangings, so, you know, these are not things that are going to get washed. But I'm also starting to occasionally be asked to um, sell my fabrics, and so I don't really want to hand them off to somebody and say, oh, by the way, this could entirely ruin anything you're using. Now, anybody that dyes hand dyes should know, or I'm sorry, anybody that buys hand dyes, um, this is the word of wisdom, no matter how much somebody might tell you, well, this is color safe, still do your color test first. Um, now, mine, I have color tested my own fabrics and I haven't seen any bleeding yet, but I'm only color testing them with a glass of water um, or by using a steam iron over a white towel, which is your other way of telling whether something's gonna bleed. But I cannot guarantee that these fabrics aren't going to, you know, are going to hold up to every single possible wet situation you might put them in. Um, so anyway, those are waiting. Um, and that batch is, two of them are kind of have blues or teals or blacks in them. The other one is um, three neutrals. I used Acru, uh, Camel, and Old Rose again. Um, and I did that because I know all of those colors break. And so I'm really interested in, in what that combination makes. And I think it'll turn out to be a really cool piece. So those are soaking and I'll be able to throw them in the wash um, and dryer tomorrow, get those through so that I will be able to post pictures of those, um, you know, midweek probably. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, and again, that's, that's all experimental because I'm really, I specifically choose color combinations not because I really have any idea of what they're going to turn out with, but because I'm really curious about what they're going to turn out. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, as a side note to that, I have been invited to do my first ever uh, guild, I guess you would call it a trunk show, about hand dyes. Uh, one of the women in my guild is a member of another guild um, in the area, and she's invited me to come to their guild, and we're doing that in early May. Um, and they've also let me, they've said um, that I can sell my hand dyes there if I want if I want to. And so I'm starting to have to produce some hand dyes. So I've got enough that I would want to sell some. Um, and I'm also trying to photo document my steps so that whatever presentation I put together, you know, I can have good step photos. Um, so that's, that's really exciting. I'm not actually doing a class. We're not going to be doing any hand dyeing or anything. I'm just going to be talking about the process and showing them the results and hopefully maybe inspiring some other folks to do this kind of thing. Um, okay, the other experiment that I did in January was doing my Ginny Buyer Block of the Month by hand. Um, and uh, you saw my blog post <laughs> about that. Um, my experiment in piecing by hand taught me that basically I don't really want to piece by hand ever Again, I, you know, I, I might, I could see myself maybe deciding to do another one down the road, but right now, no, not really. Um, I, you know, I could have had that block done in probably under an hour if I'd done it on my machine, but doing it by hand, it took me several nights, you know, of sitting there. Now that's not continuous. I wasn't working two hours at a time, partly because my fingers would start cramping. So um, it's just a longer process and I didn't enjoy it enough to say, oh, this was really zen. Um, embroidery is much more zen for me so that's going to be my handwork um the other experiment i did is i did get my january uh block of the month complete uh, i'm sorry not block of the month my january journey qu journal quilt complete um, this was my 2015 quilty resolution is that i'm doing a journal quilt every month and i did get my january um journal quilt done last week um, I had intentionally wanted to do something with shears. That was my, um, what I wanted to learn about. And that's what I was going to do my journal quilt around is how I could use shears in a journal quilt. Um, and so I've blogged all about this. I talk about where I got the inspiration from and then the, uh, the photos that I used more or less as my inspiration. Um, what I learned from it is that uh, using fusible with any sort of netting or shear is kind of tricky. <laughs> and I ended up uh, spray basting which worked pretty well. 
um, I had to let, well, I did, I let the spray base dry so I could make sure it was going to be invisible before I actually put it onto my quilt. And it was invisible, and, and you definitely can't see it now in the finished product. So that worked pretty well. Um, when I get to listener feedback, somebody did leave a comment about that, and so I'll be addressing that again when I get to that stage. Um, I did have a lot of fun. Pretty much almost all of the fabrics are my own hand dyes that I've done over the last couple of years, and so it was really fun to be able to use those in that way. I still need to get over myself with drawing skills. I, I really quite intentionally did not try to really realistically represent what I was creating my block of the month, or I'm sorry, my journal quilt for the month around. I just quickly sketched something out very quickly. Uh, and the end result is that no, the it doesn't, the pagoda itself on the front of the uh, journal quilt doesn't look the way I would love it to look. And actually it doesn't look a whole lot like <laughs> what the pagodas look like when I went back and looked at the photo again. It's interesting how we change things in our memory because that's very much what I remember it looking like from, you know, standing at the bottom and looking up to the top, but it's actually, when you look back at the photo, it isn't actually what it looks like. Um, in my memory, it's a much more round um, thing. And I think that's because the top dome really is fairly round. And so I sort of translated that to the whole thing in my memory. But the reality is part of the reason I just sort of loosely sketch stuff and kind of say, well, you know, if it's even close, I'm good is because I, I don't have any confidence in my drawing skills. I'm not particularly skilled at certainly not representational drawing. I can do cartooning um, of a sort. I can sketch things out of a sort. But when I try to make something actually look like something else, <laughs> it's, it's a little tricky. Um, you know, so that might end up being a quilty resolution somewhere down the road is to spend more time on drawing. There's certainly a lot of crafty classes around it. Um, and I've done some work on it before, like when I was on sabbatical, I really worked on some of my drawing skills. But um, the reality is most of what you learn to do in those types of classes is not the kind of drawing I really need to be able to do in my quilt life. So that's something I just need to get over myself about. Um I haven't really started thinking too much yet about what my February journal quilt's going to be. And that's partly because I'm taking an actual in-person class this coming Saturday, which I'm very excited about. This is my first in-person class since Lancaster, which was last April. And Lancaster was my first in-person class for a long time before that. I just, you know, I, I rarely, my schedule rarely meshes up with classes being held in my local quilt shops. Uh, but this coming Saturday, I'm taking a class in designing art quilts. And that's the other really fun thing, because most local quilt shops don't really do classes on art quilt or design principles or anything like that. They tend to be kind of project-based. Um, some are skill builders, but for the most part, they're project-based. And 90% of the time, I don't particularly care about the projects they're doing. It's just not my thing. And so, I, you know, there's it's infrequent for me to even see classes that I really want to take. But anyway, this coming Saturday is a class called Designing Art Quilts, and um, I'm just going to read you the description of the class. It says, where do I start? Where do ideas come from? What kind of art quilt should I make? What size? How do I come up with my own designs? These are some of the questions people new to art quilting ask as they think about making their first art quilt. They are also the questions they ask if they've made 20 art quilts. We will explore many ways to answer these questions in the morning. In the afternoon, we will use some of the answers to begin making an art quilt. Through trial and evaluation, lessons in making art quilts will be further explored as we work. So it's really, and you're supposed to bring um, a photo or photos that you can use as inspiration and fabrics that you want to use as inspiration. So I'm going to have some of my photo, my Burma photos, I'm going to choose like maybe three or four that I might possibly want to work with and, and have those printed off and bring those with me. And then I think I'm just going to bring a bunch of my hand dyes in a crate. Um, I think the instructions for the class said something about bringing a focus fabric or something like that. Um, I don't know that I, I can narrow it down to a focus fabric. You know, like, like I said, I think I might just throw my hand dyes in and then maybe choose one of my hand dyes that then I could use as a springboard to work off of. Um, the teacher for the class is a woman named Tina Somerset, who I had not actually heard of before. We... I live in an area where I'm very fortunate that we have several quite well-known art quilters that live right in our area. Um, a couple of them are active in another guild that technically I'm a member of, but I never go to their meetings because they're during the working day. Um, 
but I keep up my membership so that if I, if they, because they, they get big national speakers in periodically. And so I always look at the list and think, well, maybe I could take a vacation day and go hear a speaker. I think I've only done that once. But in any case, Tina Somerset is not one I'd heard of before. But her work has been published in Quilt Life, um, and she's been in national quilt shows, and she has a piece of work currently included in the American Quilter Society Engagement Calendar for 2015. Unfortunately, she does not seem to have a website, so I couldn't snoop and find out what kind of art quilt she does. Um, But she's recently returned to our area, so she's going to be doing a series of art quilting classes at this one quilt shop. And um, she's already, the one I'm taking is the second one she's offered. I was not able to do the first one, which was uh, last weekend. And I believe the first one was more on color and color theory and using color in art quilts. And I I thought, you know, it's probably okay because I've done a lot of uh, work on color theory. Had I been able to do it, I probably would have, but I was out of town, so I couldn't. Um, But I'm really looking forward to this one because design is an issue. You know, how do you know... um, how to approach even getting your concept across. So I'm really looking forward to that class. And again, that's this coming Saturday. Uh, So hopefully I'll be able to post an episode again next week and talk about being in that class. So that's my Sandy update. Um, I did go to a local quilt shop with my BFF BQF Kate yesterday because there was a quilt shop having a big um, Super Bowl Sunday weekend sale. And so we went down yesterday because she does have a Super Bowl event today that she, and I was just as happy to go yesterday. I kind of like having Sundays, not having to go anywhere, do anything. You know, I can have a quiet re-entry into the next week. Um, But it also turns out to be good because we're supposed to be getting that snowstorm that's coming through. Um, We're supposed to start getting it later this afternoon. So a friend of mine is going down today. I'm hoping they can get down and come back before it hits. Uh, So anyway. I picked up some more threads to use in my embroidery, my Sue Spargo embroidery class. Uh, not that I really needed any more thread, but you know, it's kind of like candy. <laughs> you see those pretty, these were pearl cottons, size 12, so they're a thinner pearl cotton. Um, and they just, this particular quilt shop has a real nice collection of felted wools and pearl cottons and such for felted wool projects. And so they had this whole shelf um, or display that had probably eight or nine shelves, probably each shelf, hmm, 20 across maybe, of different colors of this pearl cotton and just tasty colors. You know, some solid, some variegated. I bought two or three that were variegated. Um, and like I said, I really didn't need any more, but oh, who can resist? It's so pretty and you just want to eat it. Um, so I got some of that. I did get backing fabric for a UFO that I'm bound and determined to finish in the next few months. Um, and then just some random notions. Oh, and I did get a pack of fat quarters that are really cool, very bright and cheery, and I really need to do some spring slash summer table runners and such around the house. I have a lot of stuff for Christmas, a little bit for Thanksgiving. I could probably up my Thanksgiving quotient. Very little for Easter, um, and only one thing for Fourth <laughs> for Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day. It's, I have one wall hanging that hangs up pretty much all summer that's a patriotic one. Uh, so I really need to um, address more seasonal home decor type, you know, table runners and little wall hangings and that kind of thing. So I just picked up some stuff that might help me do that sometime. I don't know when. Uh, so like I said, I'm I'm going to be spending some time this afternoon in my sewing room, but I don't really know yet what I'm actually going to do, whether I'm going to just work on a project I've already got going or whether I'm going to try to throw together something quick. I'm, I'm very um, scattered in my quilting right now. And I think it's because suddenly I've got time. So it's like I kind of want to do everything at once. You know, I went from 2014 where I had so little time most of the year to really be doing a lot. And now the next few months I'm not traveling that much. Um, work, I've got a lot going on with work, but it's not stressing me out at the level that it did last year. It's not as intense as it was last year, I guess. Um, although it will have its moments, <laughs> you know, as long as I stay on top of things should be okay. Uh, but in any case, that just kind of means now I feel like, oh, okay, I've got time. What do I want to do? Do I want to knock out UFOs? Do I want to start new projects? Do I want to, you know, just kind of play and have fun? I, I'm really scattered. <laughs> so at some point I'm going to have to kind of, I think, settle myself back down. 
Um, I do have some reading goals this year, and I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about this. Um, I don't tend to do book reviews and things on this podcast. There's a lot of other people that do that much better. Um, I do book reviews on Goodreads when I finish a book. Um, I will at very least give it a star rating. If I have some real definite opinion about the book, I will actually review it. Um, I do have Goodreads encourages you to set, you know, you set yourself a reading challenge for the year. I do have a specific number of books that I listed for the challenge, and it's more than last year. But I don't really set that challenge to prove how many books I can read in a year, because then you get in a, you kind of get in that feeling of just racing through them to show how many books you can read. Um, so it's it's more for me to just sort of see how many books I read. In fact, the challenge number that I set myself this year was based on how many I actually read last year. I was like, oh, okay, because I had been kind of guessing low before that. Um, and what got me really started this year is uh, Daisy of Very Lazy Daisy had been tweeting. This is a few weeks ago now. She had been tweeting about some new uh, literary podcast she had found, some uh, book review podcast. And then she said something on Twitter about, well, I don't want to spam y'all, so I guess I'll have to just stop doing this. And so I had sent, said, email me your list because I would really like to hear, you know, what you think about these different podcasts. So she sent me an email. It had, I don't know, five maybe, five or six book review type podcasts on them. Um, and so I've been trying them out. I I really, I did enjoy Book Riot. Um, that was the one that I, I listened to a couple of episodes and I, I liked that one. My personal jury is still out on Books on the Nightstand. And I know this is a very popular one. I saw, I haven't listened to Tanisha's most recent episode yet, but I did notice in her show notes that she talks about Books on the Nightstand. It's not that it's a bad podcast. There's nothing about it that I don't like. It's just it didn't grab me as much, I think, as Book Riot. And that's such a personal thing. It just depends on how you feel you relate to the people that are talking to you, you know. Um, but I can also see where Books on the Nightstand would grow on me. So I haven't said, oh, I'm never going to listen to it again. Um, I did listen to another one called The Readers, and that one just didn't really grab me. So I don't, you know, I don't have that much time to listen to podcasts. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to keep going with that one. Um, and I've still got a couple others to listen to, but I actually, she had sent me the email, I think maybe the day before I was flying to Kansas. And so I immediately went in and subscribed and downloaded the most recent episode of each one. And I listened to them on the flights back and forth and immediately added several books to my Goodreads to read list based on the episodes I was listening to. Um, it's what it, what is going to take a while is learning the vibe of the people who are doing the recommending. It's just like when you read movie reviews. You know, there's certain reviewers that you tend to find yourself agreeing with if you've seen the movies, and that means you're going to put that much more credence on their reviews in the future. The same thing is true with books. I just need to get a feel for what kinds of books different people of these podcasters tend to really like, and if they're books that I would probably like as well, then I will tend to listen to their recommendations more than another. So that's where my jury is still out a little bit on the books on the nightstand, because I've read a couple of books that were recommended there, and I, I wasn't real keen on a couple of them. Um, but another one I'm really enjoying, and now I can't remember which podcast recommended it. Um, I'm currently reading Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older. It's a, um, I guess it falls into the urban fantasy genre, which is a new genre on me. And I used to be an English major. So, <laughs> you know, new genres are popping up all the time. This one's an urban fantasy. Um, it has very colorful language. I will say that, but the language really fits. It does. It just, it feels normal. I've read other books where people are swearing a blue streak and it just irritates me because it feels like it's just being done for effect. In this book, it feels real. So it doesn't, it's not bugging me. Um, and I just really enjoy the characters. It's, it's a different sort of a, an idea for a premise for a story. And so I'm really enjoying that one. Um, again, that's Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older. I can't necessarily tell you, oh, y'all should go out and read this because it's, it, it is going to be only, you know, you're going to like it or you're going to hate it, I guess. Um, but I'm enjoying it. Um, I did also make a decision based on, and I believe this one was one of the podcasters from Books on the Nightstand had said he's going to try to start doing something that I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. Um, and it's choosing a collection of short stories and then reading one of those short stories from that collection between every novel. So you're not reading the whole short story collection all at once. You're reading one short story between every novel that you read. And I decided, you know, that that's a neat way to do that. Um, 
I have read, you know, short story collections in the past, but it's not always top of my list, something to do. And I thought this would be a way for me to um, be exposed to more of them. So the short story collection I'm working on right now, which was one of the recommendations from Books on the Nightstand, is Almost Famous Women. I haven't decided yet. Um, I like the writing. I'm just not sure I'm liking... Well, I don't know. I haven't decided. I've only read two of the short stories from the collection, and I, there's not a lot of them. It's not a hugely long book. Um, what it is, Almost Famous Women, what, she, what the author has done, and I'm sorry I didn't write down the name of the author, but if you look up Almost Famous Women, you'll find it. What she has done is she's taken real women from history. Um, some you may have heard of, some more likely not. I So far I haven't heard of the women that I've read these short stories about. And then she imagines what might have happened to them after. So it's fiction, but it is based on history. And um, it was the woman from Books on the Nightstand who recommended this, and she, she made the comment about she had Googled more while she was reading this book than any other book she's ever read. And it's true. It makes you kind of want to, you read about this person, and you're like, well, now I want to really know what happens. You know, let me go back and look at this person up. And I haven't done that yet. But, um, you know, like I said... I, my jury is out on the book, but I'm going to finish the book. It's not like I'm hating it. The, it's well written. Um, I think it's just because I, I haven't decided yet if I like the tone that she's writing with. The two first stories definitely fall into the same sort of feel, and I'm trying to decide if this is a vibe I'm going to be able to go with overall. Um, the other thing I'm trying to do more of in 2014 is audiobooks. Um, I, I have a problem <laughs> with audiobooks is I enjoy them in theory, but I inevitably end up feeling like, oh, come on, I could be reading this faster. You know, I, I kind of get impatient for the plot to continue, and I don't tend to like to wait for somebody to read it to me, which is, again, it's unfortunate because I do like audiobooks. So it's just this kind of weird thing that I have, and I think it's just a matter of finding the right audiobooks. So right now I'm reading, I'm still just about done with... Um, the one that I started while I was sick and couldn't read when I had my double conjunctivitis and had to lay in bed with a cloth over my eyes because light was just too bright. Um, and so I'd started an audiobook during that illness period, and I'm just about, I think I've got like an hour left on it. Um, and I talked about that before, and I think I posted the link to that one in that show notes episode. It's a cozy mystery. Um, but on, I can't remember now whether this was Book Ride or Books on the Nightstand. I think it was Books on the Nightstand it's whichever one was is sponsored by Audible. Um, they talked about the fact that there's uh, the Audible has a collection of the A.A. A. Milne or Winnie the Pooh stories and then some of the poetry that A.A. A. Milne has written. And they're read by somebody named Peter Dennis. And the phrasing she used was something about if you've always imagined what Winnie the Pooh would sound like being read to you, this is what it sounds like being read to you, I guess. Apparently it's just a wonderful... Um, version of it. And I love A.A. A. Milne, and I have his books of poetry. I've had them since I was, well, I was very young. In fact, I don't think they were originally mine. I probably ripped them off from some older sibling or my parents or something. But um, I read some of his poetry when I was fairly young, and I just love it. I love his stuff. And so the fact that I can now have it read to me, that felt to me like, you know, nostalgia, comfort food, reading, you know, like I'm going to be really feeling like I'm a little kid having a bedtime story read to me again. So I'm looking forward to doing that. I don't know if I'll read it straight or listen to it straight through or whether that'll be something that I listen to a little bit at a time here and there between other things. Um, the other thing I found on my own um, from audiobook, audio, Audible, I'm sorry, is... There are some books that are read by a full cast. Now, they do have some Shakespeare plays read by a full cast, which I'm really, I, I want to do that. Although, I'm not entirely sure whether it would be really easy to keep track of who's who. Um, I've read a lot of Shakespeare, again, English major, read a lot of Shakespeare in my past. And I, my husband and I always go see Shakespeare plays, um, generally once a year. We go because we, we, we live very close to Stratford in Ontario, Canada, and they have a incredible um, Shakespearean theater, Shakespeare Festival up there. And so we pretty much every year um, we try to get to see a play up there. What I'm trying to figure out is whether just listening to a play, will I be able to keep track of the characters? Because generally Shakespeare has just a host of characters and often some of them are recurring characters but aren't on stage very long. So that'll be a little tricky. But anyway, 
I don't have a Shakespeare play yet um, from Audible. What I did download is Jane Austen's Mansfield Park, read by an ensemble cast. That includes Benedict Cumberbatch and David Tennant. Um, Those of you who are not Doctor Who fans, David Tennant became very famous because he was Doctor Who for a number of seasons. Um, And Benedict Cumberbatch is primarily famous for, um, well, he did Sherlock on BBC, but he also was just in a really excellent movie called The Imagination Game. Hang on, I've got to look it up. Yes, The Imagination Game, and it was an excellent movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. Uh, So anyway, I'm really looking forward to reading or to listening to that because I think that could be all sorts of fun. Um, And then the other thing I just did today, so I haven't really experienced it yet, but I was on the Books on the Nightstand website looking up um, the link to one of the books they had recommended, and they talked about something called One Story. And I haven't listened to the episode yet in which they talk about it, so I just saw it on their website. And what One Story is, it's a literary magazine that only has one story at a time. And so when you subscribe every three to four weeks, you can subscribe, you get it by mail, or you can get it on your digital device. So I subscribe through my Kindle, and I think it's like a dollar twenty-nine or a dollar forty-nine or something that I'll get charged every time one of these stories shows up on my Kindle. Um, and it's just one short story, and they don't, they never publish the same author twice. I think is what they said. So they're short stories, and it's a way for you to get exposed to a variety of genres and a variety of authors. It just sounded like it would be fun to try. Um, Again, I have not yet read the first story. I imagine I might have one ready to be downloaded to my Kindle since I subscribed. They probably will send me whatever one they just sent out. Um, But I thought it it might be fun to try, at least for a while. So I'll I'll let you know how that goes. Um, Again, that's one story, and it's just www.one-story.com if you want to check it out. So that's my reading stuff. Let's get to listener feedback. All right, since it's been a while since I've done... um, listener feedback. I've got a lot of comments, so I'm not going to be able to respond to everybody. What I've done is I've gone through and I've pulled out some that had specific questions or specific things that they had shared that I really wanted to respond to. Um, And then I will try to go through and list names of everybody else after that, although it gets a little confusing with the way I have to do this. So we'll see how that goes. I do want to say um, thank you to Sarah for who actually commented in Flickr on when I posted my picture of the January of the Ginny Buyer block of the month. January block. Um, and she said uh, that Ginny Byers does beautiful patterns. She says, I'm not a fan of the border prints, though, or I do some of her quilts. And actually, I'm not always a huge fan of the border qu- prints either, but I thought this would be a good way to kind of get exposed to using them and see what some possibilities might be. So um, that's why I'm doing it. So to a certain degree, Sarah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. My jury is still out. Um, thank you to, okay, the next several comments were relating to when I talked about my wool yarn or my wool thread that I've been using with the Sue Spargo applique as having real problems with it breaking, but it doesn't break where the needle, where it goes through the needle, it breaks down where it comes through the felt. So it's clearly something about the friction between the wool thread and the felt. Um, I have changed up needles, so my needle is, you know, working pretty well now. But I had several people who offered suggestions for um, how I might be able to keep that from happening. Margaret Kay had said, can you ask the craftsy teacher about wool yarn management? And I did, and I didn't really get much of an answer. Um, She just told me to make sure I was using the right needle. Um, But at that point, when I first posted the question, I wasn't actually using the right needle, so I can see that. And I haven't gone back and um, continued that conversation. But uh, Margaret Kay did go on to say she had see, she remembers seeing some embroidery instructions instruction on PBS eons ago, and the teacher had strategies for keeping twist in the wool and keeping the ribbons flat, etc. Um, so it is just something, yeah, I just need to keep working on. Um, Susan, however, says she is an avid needle pointer, and she says, if you're finding the wool is coming unplied, which is what was happening for me, I could see the separate plies happening. She says, I'm guessing you're twisting the needle as you stitch. It's very common. Um, And she says, I would recommend figuring out which direction clockwise or counterclockwise is the direction that adds twist to the thread. Then as you stitch, give your needle a twist in that direction every stitch or two. Um, If you build up too much twist, twist, your thread will start to kink and not more, so don't add too much. And then 
Um, of course, moving to larger needles. She also says another common problem people make is picking too small of a needle, thinking they don't want larger holes in their needlepoint canvas or fabric. Um, however, the needle is protecting the thread from getting too much abrasion. Uh, so moving to a larger needle will help keep the thread from breaking. And she reminded me that in the needle sizing, the smaller the number, the big, bigger the needle, which is something I do always have to repeat to myself whenever I'm looking at needles is, okay, the smaller the number, the bigger the needle. Um, so anyway, uh, that was something else. And Lauren also posted thread and yarn have twist. And so she talks about, and she says, the result is that it makes a difference at which end of the thread you are working from. Um, the end of this, you know, whichever end is the end that came off the spool first or the end that came off la last. If your thread is untwisting as you work, you might want to try knotting the other end and see if that helps. And the other night I did do that. I knotted it one way first and then knotted the other end the other way. And now, of course, I can't remember which way worked better. <laughs> so I'm going to have to try that again tonight when I sit down to do it. But that is definitely, and I had remembered, Lauren, when you, when I read your comment, I was like, that's right. I do remember a woman at our guild talking about that at one point. Um, and the other thing I need to go back and check is I have the DVD that used to, that went out for a while with um, Superior Threads. Bob Purcell of Superior Threads has a whole DVD on thread. And he did one that talked about the twist of thread. And I need to go back and watch that again, too, to see if there's something that would be helpful. Uh, Laura also commented she's been a cross-stitcher for about 30 years and is a member of a needlework guild, and she suggested that the wool I was stitching with, um, the pieces were too long. And she said when she works with silk, she uses strands that are only 18 inches long. Um, I think that was probably also, to a degree, possibly the case. Um, I mean, I wasn't using real long strands. I think it might have been 18 inches, but I've actually gone a little bit shorter. I think the last time I stitched... I used maybe a 12 to 16 inch. And between that and paying attention to the twist and all that kind of stuff, it did go somewhat better. But again, I need to, tonight when I'm working on it, I really need to sit and think through that again. Um, she also says, experienced cross-stitchers know that to prevent twisted threads, you need to drop your needle once in a while and hold up your work, allow the needle to twist on its own. And I had to laugh <laughs> Because I did try that after I read Laura's comment. I did try that, and then I realized, well, but the problem is I'm using a needle with a fairly large eye now, and the needle kept flying off <laughs> every time I held up the project. I'd have to go digging in my lap for the needle, which had fallen off. So, um, you know, that's that's one that, okay, it's helpful to a point, but I have to figure out how to do it in such a way that I won't lose my needle every time. Um, and she also suggests using a thread conditioner like Thread Heaven, and I do have some Thread Heaven. I, it hadn't even crossed my mind to use it on wool. Um, and I haven't tried it yet, so I might do that as well tonight. I'll dig it up from wherever I've got it in storage, and and maybe I'll test that out a little bit too to see if that'll work. Um, Amy also posted, again, with the same thing. She said, I was inspired to share something I've learned doing wool applique, and then she says she sees Lauren has already hit the nail on the head. Try working from the other end. Your hand naturally turns the thread a little with each stitch, so depending on which end of the thread you work from, your thread will gradually unwrap or begin to twist. The latter is more easily corrected as you work. Um, so thank you, Amy. And again, that's, yeah, that's something I need to do. Um, and uh, so tonight I really will pay attention and I might even write down for myself, okay, start from this end or start from the other end and it works better. Um, Lolita also said she does a lot of hand embroidery and quilting and she says I used a metallic thread and it shredded and frayed like crazy remember thread has a direction so be sure to knot the end that you have cut um, so for her what she found is that if you knot the end that you cut it off the spool then that keeps it from twisting and she says she also found it does better when she used shorter strands and then she sent me pretty pretty pictures of quilts thank you Lolita I really appreciated that um, Margaret commented on episode 170A, in which I'm back from Burma. That was the textile um, thing. And she said, I spoke about cross-woven fabric, and she believes I meant shot fabric. I actually looked this up because I have heard both terms, and I have fabric on my shelf that I've bought from various vendors, some of which was called shot cotton, and some of which was called um, cross-woven. And frankly, it looks exactly the same to me. So I looked it up. And I could not find that there was any difference between something that's called shot cotton and something that's called crosswoven. Um, and also there's shot silk, crosswoven silk. I mean, it depends on the fiber. 
um, but shot and cross-woven, to the best of my knowledge, are the same thing. Um, and I, like I said, I've used both terms, or I, I've, I'm sorry, I've heard both terms used. Um, it might depend on what part of the world you're from, <laughs> perhaps, because when I think about it, the fabric that I heard referred to, or that I bought, that was referred to as cross-woven, um, I think was from Indonesia. I'm looking at it on my shelf. I'm sort of remembering the booth that I bought it from when I was in Houston, and I'm pretty sure they said it was from Indonesia. I'm not positive. Um, but I know, like, uh, Kate Facet has shot cotton, so it, that could be just a regional thing. Um, if anybody does actually know if there's a difference between a crosswoven fabric and a shot fabric, let me know, because I am curious. This is something I've actually wondered about before, because I've heard both terms. Um, so, anyway, that is uh, my, my response, <laughs> Margaret, is that I think the terms are interchangeable, I believe. Um, but Margaret says she's off to Cuba, so I'm really anxious to hear about your trip and find out whether indeed you did find any um, textiles, you know, traditional type textiles. Thank you to Sandy, uh, not Sandy of Cabana, but another Sandy, and she was thanking me for sharing the info on the Craftsy class with Jenny with Ginny Byers, and she downloaded that class. She's really interested to learn about hand piecing. Um, she asked if I, and Sandy asked if I'd gotten the kit or was using my own fabric, and I did get the kit. I think I talked about that on my blog post where I first mentioned that I was doing this um, block of the month, because for me, um, I just, I, because of the reason I'm doing this block of the month, I didn't want to get into having to really make a whole bot, a bunch of fabric decisions. I'm not normally a kit person. I really love choosing fabrics. That's one of the most fun parts of a project for me. Uh, but for this particular block in the month, I didn't want to have that much time invested <laughs> into it. I want to learn what the technique is for each block. But I don't want to have to cloud it up with, oh, am I really liking these color combinations? And do I have enough of this fabric to get through the whole quilt? All of that kind of stuff. So I just decided to go ahead and buy the quilt, the kit. Um, I don't know if the kit is still available. I know it had gone out of stock for a little while and then it came back into Craftsy. I don't know if the kit is still available. It was not available through Ginny Byer's website. It is only available through Craftsy, so you would have to look um, to see if it was still there. I do know that the price I paid for it was actually a significantly less amount per yard than had I gone to a quilt store and bought the same amount of fabric. So um, I thought the price was quite good on the kit. And it, like I said, it just it makes it easier for me to just do the block every month. Um, I think that was all, yes, and she does point out that Ginny Byer also has some wonderful YouTubes on her site regarding hand piecing. So if I were inclined to continue hand piecing, I might do a, <laughs> a little more study of it, but I just really, I'm eh, not sure I want to do it. Um, and, uh, thank you to Cindy for your post. Um, also thank you to, oh, Rose, <laughs> because Rose had left a comment on a previous episode about inkle weaving, and I, I remember saying in my response to that comment that I didn't know if that was a typo because I had never heard of inkle weaving, and I was wondering if it might mean ankle weaving, which might be a different variation on backstrap weaving, which I know. Um, but then I looked it up afterwards, and then she went ahead and emailed me too. Yes, inkle weaving is a thing, I-N-K-L-E, and it's narrow bands weaving, um, usually done on a specific inkle loom, which is a narrow loom. Um, and she sent me pictures, uh, but she says it can also be done on a rigid huddle like the one she recently bought. Um, so it's really, it's, it's normal weaving. It's just really narrow. So it, it's like, think, you know, belts, <laughs> I guess, or handles of things. Um, so that was, that was very helpful, Rose. And I really, I enjoyed seeing your pictures of what you've done. They're very cool. Um, but now you've also educated me on inkle weaving because I had never heard of it before. So that was cool. Um, oh, Emily emailed me, and this was a while back, and I did email her response. Uh, I emailed her immediately with the response, but I did just want to let you know, if you are interested in doing Charlotte's Scrap in a Box, um, that's the 2015 version of Scrapitude, the scrap mystery quilt um, that's done by Charlotte, a member of my guild. Um, Charlotte does have her own blog now. I had posted this in my blog a couple times, um, but I will say it again. Her blog site is www.scrapitudequilts.com and she's posting all of the mystery quilt steps there this year. I'm no longer doing them on my blog. 
Um, so make sure you go to scrapitudequilts.com and subscribe to her blog and you will get her um, the next steps on her uh, mystery quilt as soon as she posts them. Even if you're not doing the mystery quilt, subscribe to her blog because she is a beautiful scrap quilter and she often posts, now Now that she has a blog, she gives um, information about how she approaches things and her organizational system. And she had a whole post on what it meant to say random but pleasing <laughs> and that kind of thing. So it's it's a very good blog to be subscribed to. So again, that's scrapitudequilts.com. Um, thank you to Susan Han. This was a long email, so I'm going to pause for a minute while I skim through it to see what I wanted to respond to. Okay, it was a wonderful email with all sorts of really wonderful stuff in there, and now I'm not seeing if I ever actually responded, Susan. I, I loved reading it, and I apologize if I didn't, but I know looking at the date on it, that was right when I was in the throes of sick, so I just might not have, and I apologize for that. Um, but uh, Susan does say she's also taking taking the Sue Spargo embroidery class, or she at least she has, I think, did you actually buy it, Susan? Um, she was reading my blog about what I'm doing, and so that's where she heard about it, and she is interested in doing it. Um, and she says she has some gorgeous felted wool stashed away, and her post brought it, my post brought it back to mind. Um, so I really think, Susan, that yes, you do need to do it. Um, and we can compare notes as we go. It's it, it's one of these classes where it's not like Sue Spargo says, here's this stitch, do it in this location and do it this way. She just sort of shows you what to do and then you freestyle <laughs> on your project. So, you know, even if Susan and I were both doing it and still used her basic project design, um, they'd end up looking very, very different from one another. So, Susan, I encourage you to do it and then we can swap pictures and, and see how we're doing. Um, and Susan, I'm going to um, flag your email for myself to see whether I've actually uh, responded to it or not. <laughs> I apologize. I really, there are so many just lost days in January that I'm still kind of catching up from. Um, Sue in upstate New York tried the chocolate teas that I had recommended on one of my Thinking About It Thursday posts, and she really loved them. So if you're into chocolate, you might want to check out those chocolate teas. Um, by the way, I just tried another new these are all republic of tea brand there's a peppermint chocolate and there's a red velvet cupcake tea that i love them both i just bought a new one called vanilla almond and that's also very tasty it's a black tea though so i can't drink it at night i can only drink that one in the morning um but that one's also pretty good sue so, so you might want to try that one too uh thank you to jane who also had sinus infections and she also has done some snow dyeing so jane you might want to pay attention to the challenge the gauntlets that sandy and i have thrown down to each other if you want to join in and jane also left me her um blog address and i subscribed immediately thank you jane you've got a beautiful blog and i love looking at your pictures of what you're doing with your hand dyes um carolee also has done snow dyeing um, and she says she also applied the dye directly on the snow She's glad she had never seen the recommendation to put it in water. And again, that's in reference to my blog post on um, entitled Mad Quilt Scientist Walks Again, Snow Dying. That was just posted this week. Because when I first was exploring snow dyeing last year, two years ago, I think just last year, I had done some research online and several blogs said, oh, you mix your dye concentrate with water and then you put it on the snow. Well, no. <laughs> sure, you might save some dye powder that way, but it ends up really dilute um, colors and I really didn't like the results I got from that so I use my dye powder directly on the snow um, and that's how Carol E does it too and she says she needs to get a few more dye color options before she attempts any more Carol go for the compound colors particularly black really breaks great you're gonna get a piece that's primarily black but you're gonna see some pictures or some you know other little colors floating around in there it's really cool um, Again, compound colors are colors dye powders that are made from a variety of different colors to get the one color that it looks like it normally is. Um, those are great fun to use in snow dyeing or ice dyeing because they break. And that's, that's the technical term for when those compound colors break into their individual component colors again. Um, Katiar posted on my January block for 2015, Craftsy Block of the Month with Ginny Byer, which was a while ago. Um, she said, thank you for sharing your thoughts on this one. She's glad she didn't jump in head first until after reading my blog because I had said my size, my finished block ended up a little bit smaller than it was supposed to. And I had said maybe I should have sewn, I should have sewn a scant 
quarter inch by hand. And so she, Kati, is going to pay attention to that when she does her block. And Ellen also um, posted on my first blog post about that block of the month with Ginny Byer, where I talked about sorting the fabrics using the kit. And Ellen Deeth was, thank you for that tip. Um, because she's having a tough time on a few of them. It's really hard to tell from the printout of the different pictures you get um, of the different fabrics to really know which fabric is which based on the instructions. So I had to go back to the website and everything. Anyway, that's all on my blog. Um, Lauren Moore posted on my episode 171 in which we talk quilty resolutions, uh, which I posted back at the end of December. And she was talking about... um, that she that it was a hard resolution challenge because I only let you choose one thing. Um, and she did finally choose one thing, and she'll be interested to see what other people chose. Um, and then she talked about pulling out a UFO from the late 90s that she wants to really try to finish. So go for that. Try to get that puppy done. Um, and good luck with that, Lauren. And hopefully you and I are both healthy now. Um Oh, and Maureen also posted a comment on one of my Burma episodes where she had come across a 2012 documentary. They call it Myanmar Lifting the Curtain, and I hadn't actually heard of that one, so I'm going to have to go track that down. Thank you for that recommendation, Maureen. Um, Thank you to Pratima for commenting as well on my December Craftsy Class update. Um, And she also appreciated hearing about the local traditions and crafts in Myanmar. So I will be getting back to that. Um, Thank you to Janet. And I had to highlight Janet for y'all because I know some of you are aghast at the number of craftsy classes I have. Um, Janet's got me way, way beat, way beat. She's got 85. I think I'm in the maybe low 50s, high 40s, low 50s, somewhere in there. Maybe I might have gotten up to 60 with my last few um, packages or classes that I bought. But anyway, Janet's got 85, and so she is really working on trying to finish off (laughs) some of those as well. Um, Thank you to Jennifer as well, who is, um, she's also been doing some crafty classes, and she has been doing some in crocheting, which gives her a whole new category to shop in. Um, Isn't that so true? And Lisa, thank you for your comment. I think this might be the first time I've seen a comment from you, I believe. And she says she's a truck driver with her husband and her cat and really enjoys listening while I drive. And all I could think is, how does your cat handle being in a truck? I've never had, I I haven't owned a whole lot of cats in my life, but none of them were real keen on moving vehicles. (laughs) So I'd like to hear more about your adventures with the cat in the truck. Um, Noni commented on my Craftsy class review of free motion quilting a sampler with Leah Day class review. So this was a ways back. I think I posted that at the end of December, early January. And her comment has a whole lot of links in it to other products and things that you might want to pay attention to. So I would encourage you to go back, search my blog for Craftsy class reviews um, for the Leah Day class, and look at Noni's comment with all of those links because it's very helpful information. Thank you to Delwyn for commenting because um, she is from New Zealand, which is pretty cool. And she's going, she's been doing some wonderful walks by the sea and she thinks a wee seascape may be in the making. And if it is, we get pictures. That's all I want to say. And to Ms. Lottie, another New Zealander um, who posted on my January Journey quilt uh, completion. And she says she loves working with shears, particularly silk organza. She says, Misty Fuse will show through a little. I iron release paper over the top and then pull it off, and you can remove any of the excess excess that shows through like that. Although she says she'd still be careful about ironing the quilt top. It could get messy. So thank you for that tip, Lottie, and thank you for... Um, I, I need to learn more about other fabrics that aren't cotton because I'm not entirely sure which one is silk organza compared to other shears I might have in my stash already. So I've got to do some educating about that. And In fact, I believe I saw there might be a free class, craftsy class about fabrics in the sewing um, section. So maybe I should do that. Um, and there were a whole lot more of you that commented, and I'm really sorry if I'm not responding to you by name because again I am behind and I'm already over an hour and I don't like doing that so I'm just going to say thank you so much to everybody who commented and now I'm caught up and I should be able to keep up after this um so that is it for this episode thanks again to everybody who did the quilty resolutions um challenge and 
Remember about the snow dye challenge. If anybody else wants to join in with Sandy and I on our um, our challenge to one another, you're more than welcome to. And um, I guess that's it. That's it for this episode. So you know how to get a hold of me. You can reach me at Sandy Quilts. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, not Facebook, I'm sorry, Flickr. All of those places I'm Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. Um, you can follow, friend me on Goodreads. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. Please do love seeing your pictures. And of course, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you can find links for all of those things at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.